make sure you take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you might end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. I'll see you soon. <laughs>
Inniviscand or Contium. They were buds. Everything Jacob owned fit in the bedroom, and that was fine. More room for the party. Afterwards, they drove to the strip mall and loaded the van with Halloween decorations. The van had been returned to the car dealership lot within three hours. Then Jake had noticed that his funds were quickly starting to dwindle. Thankfully, his friends weren't the type who would expect an elaborate spread, and Mike was providing the beer. Still, he asked Mike to loan him 20 bucks. There was a new cheese specialty shop in town, and a good cheese would give an impression of sophistication. He swaggered up the incline to the establishment and read the sign, Samples Upon Request. This started his wheels turning. If he could fill up on samples, he would have more for the guests. He was pumped and ready to seize the challenge ahead of him. He pulled the heavy glass door open and stepped inside. Jacob strutted over to the cheesemonger. I'd like to sample some Swiss cheese. Pleasantly salty, no oily finish. He savoured it, then quickly frowned. Um, the manchego please. The nutty and buttery flavours blended beautifully, but he tried not to show his delight. Let me try the gorgonzola. Sweet, delicate and tangy, yum. Still, he shook his head. He jabbed the pointed finger at the deli case, leaving a print on the glass. Mutzer, Lemberger, Gouda, Stilton. The cheesemonger was growing impatient. Jacob was getting demanding, even acting entitled. Can I recommend something for the occasion? The cheesemonger offered. Ignoring the man's hospitableness, Jacob sneered and said, Maybe a spread. Yes, may I try some of the brie? Its strong earthiness was superb. Too mellow, he claimed. Some camembert. Milky and sweet, but the funky smell helped him maintain his look of dissatisfaction. After munching his way through three more gourmet varieties, he said, No, these won't do either. What are you hiding in the back? The cheesemonger smiled and nodded. He walked around to the front of the counter and removed the fingerprint with a piece of tape, then disappeared into the stockroom. Sorry for smudging the glass, Jacob whispered sarcastically. In the stockroom, the cheesemonger carefully stuck one corner of the tape on the edge of the counter, careful not to smudge the fingerprint. He cut a wedge of Asagio cheese. It had a fresh, slightly floral scent that would be as irresistible as the cheese's flavour. He tore a large piece of butcher's paper from the roll and adamantly sketched various symbols on it as if he were designing his own wrapping paper. But the characters he drew were ancient runes. He was determined to give Jacob a cheese to remember. Once he was satisfied with his blueprint, he turned the paper over and placed the wedge of cheese on top. He was a religious man and he began to chant, knowing that his prayers would ensure that the cheese was going to be exceptional. While Jacob waited, he heard mumbling coming from the other room, and he wrinkled his forehead. He smiled a smarmy grin before uttering, What the hell is he doing? The cheesemonger finished his mantra, wrapped the wedge of cheese in the mystical paper, and sealed the parcel with the piece of tape blotted with Jacob's oily fingerprint. He put a smile on his face and carried the package out to the impudent shit in his store. A gift. He held out the package to Jacob. Jacob snatched it from the man's loose grip. He felt insulted. Was the man kicking him out? He glared at the cheesemonger. It's better be delicious. But when Jacob turned to leave, he bit his lip to stifle a chuckle. He had just made an easy 20 bucks.
When Jacob arrived home, he put the package on the kitchen table. The paper the cheese was wrapped in was strewn with doodles he did not recognise. Crazy old man, he thought. He ripped the taped corner and released an odour that tempted and caressed his olfactory senses. He gazed at the parcel. It was laying on the kitchen counter like an open envelope and he tugged at the loose flap to liberate the precious contents. The bundle thumped on the formica laminate with each quart turn. Jacob dropped the paper to the parquet floor. The cheese was finally free of its bindings, its enticing aroma beckoning him. He bent and breathed deeply. It smelled like a good woman. Then it began to pulsate, but he was not disgusted. He ogled it ravenously as if it were performing a seductive dance. As he pulled the utensil toward his body, he felt the burning of a thousand needles as the skin at the base of his neck peeled in unison with the slice of cheese. He squirmed. His shirt was like sandpaper on his raw flesh. Jacob pulled his t-shirt over his head and dropped it on the parquet floor. He dangled the strip of cheese over his open mouth and nibbled at the slice like a gerbil. The taste was indescribable, unlike anything he had tasted before. He dropped the rest into his mouth and gobbled it hungrily. He needed more. He again pressed the slice onto the wedge and proceeded to off a second slice. The skin below his left shoulder blade tore away like the skin of a potato, but his full attention was on the platinum blonde temptress in front of him. He folded the second piece into his mouth, barely chewed and swallowed. Slice, gobble and swallow. Slice, gobble and swallow. Mike was banging on the door of Jacob's house with his foot, a cooler filled with sodas in his arms. He set the cooler down next to the one filled with beers and knocked with the side of his fist. Pamela and Kim were pulling into the cul-de-sac behind him. They were dressed like salt and pepper shakers. Kim pushed the passenger car door open with her shoulder, losing her balance and practically falling out. She had two bottles of tequila, one in each hand. Mike wondered if she had already started partying. She exclaimed that she brought the tequila and the salt, and Mike looked at Pamela questioningly. Pamela only commented on how original Mike's pirate costume was, and Mike responded that he wasn't expecting a contest. Pamela strode over to Jacob's living room window. She leaned her forehead on the glass and cupped her hands around her temples to block out the setting sun. She could see a bright light filling the archway that led into the kitchen beyond. The doorknob turned easily in Mike's grip and he swung the door inward. He reached around and flicked on the lights. The three of them stepped inside and closed the door. Mike startled when he saw the limbs protruding haphazardly from the box in the corner of the room. The girls bumped into one another as they both turned toward the door at the same time and Pamela fumbled with the doorknob. Mike let out a breath and picked up a rubber leg. He called out Jacob's name, but his voice just seemed to bounce off the walls in the empty space. Kim commented that she hoped folding chairs and TV trays were available. Pamela called out Jacob's name. No answer. The girls stood near the door and Mike ambled forward and into the kitchen. Holy shit! Mike's outburst summoned the girls to his side. Kim was still clutching the bottles of tequila. The three friends just stared. Not sure if what they were seeing was a Halloween prank. 
Jacob slumped on the floor facing the counter as if he had suddenly gotten weak in the knees. His back looked like a red patchwork quilt. It had obviously been skinned by the bloody weapon in his right hand. Pamela shuffled closer and lightly touched Jacob's weeping abrasions. He flinched, and Pamela retracted her outstretched arm, then studied the red substance coating her fingertips. The bottle smashed as Kim raised her open hands to cover her eyes. Pamela screamed. Jacob slowly turned and gazed at Mike, a goofy, satisfied grin on his face. Never mess around with the pious cheesemonger. That's the lesson I've taken from this one. How about you? You know you're having a bad day when it ends in self-cannibalism. <laughs> What's that, friends? Another one, you say. Well, I did promise it to you, didn't I? Okay. This one is called When Miss Creel Came to Town. Also written by our friend Carolyn O'Brien. What kind of fish goes fishing? Megan asked me one night while playing a trivia game. I hesitated, then threw my hands up in defeat. Anglerfish! She exclaimed. She read the blurb under the answer. Female anglerfish have a modified dorsal ray that resembles a fishing pole. A luminescent organ dangles from the tip-like bait. It hangs directly in front of the fish's mouth, the hypnotic glow from the organ bait attracting prey. She was intrigued, and the following evening she was on her laptop researching anglerfish. Weeks later, Ms Creel moved into the house next door. The woman had a crescent-shaped mouth that stretched across her bony face like she endured a plethora of bad facelifts. My daughter, however, said she looked like an anglerfish. The deep-sea creatures have enormous mouths. The hideous fish have also earned the nickname Black Devil, igniting Megan's opinion of our neighbour. She unjustly declared Ms Creel was an enemy. That's not an adequate reason to reject her before even getting to know her, I said. But Megan had a unique and sometimes disturbing imagination. Despite this, I was determined to show my daughter that you cannot judge people by their looks. So I invited Ms Creel to join us for lunch. When the doorbell chimed, Megan let the shears fall across the window before racing to the kitchen to hide. I shook my head and opened the front door. Miss Creel followed me to the kitchen. Megan ran to my side. I slid a chair from the table and pried my daughter from my hip, forcing her to sit. 
Miss Creel seemed sympathetic, and in an effort to release some of the tension, she commented on the scarecrow Megan and her brother made. She said that they did a great job and offered to give them a few dollars if they would make one for her. They discussed scarecrow-making techniques, Miss Creel reminiscing about her own scarecrow-making days. She disclosed that one reason she moved to the neighbourhood was to hear the laughter of children. She said it was a wonderful remedy for loneliness. Megan seemed to loosen up a little and asked Miss Creel if she wanted to hear a joke. Miss Creel pulled out a chair and sat down across the table from Megan. Sure, she replied. How does a scarecrow drink his juice? asked Megan. Miss Creel crinkled her forehead as if she were thinking hard. Megan started to giggle. She must have thought she was about to divulge the most hilarious answer ever. With a straw, she screeched. Miss Creel let out a burst of laughter. She opened her cavernous mouth so wide that I thought her jaw would unhinge. Her dentures sailed across the freshly waxed table, revealing tiny pointed teeth. Megan pushed away from the table and jumped up out of the chair. She sprinted up the staircase and slammed her bedroom door. Miss Creel was clearly mortified. She fumbled awkwardly for her dentures and headed for the door. I followed the poor woman all the while trying my best to calm her, but there wasn't much I could say to ease her embarrassment. I leaned against the closed door and sighed. I marched up the staircase and strode down the hallway to Megan's room. She was on her bed, hugging her pillow. Give me a reason not to be disappointed in you, I demanded. The anglerfish captures its prey with spiny teeth that angle inward to make escape impossible, she sobbed. Megan's theory about Ms. Creel was becoming more evident in her twisted realm. My heart was breaking as I could only imagine my daughter's genuine fear, fictional or not. I decided to read up on the basics of anglerfish in the hopes that I could beat her to any further comparisons. And although educating myself helped me better understand Megan's perception of Ms. Creel, I was also a little ashamed of myself for trying to find other similarities between my neighbour and a carnivorous beast. That evening, I took the initiative to let Miss Creel know that the morning's incident had been forgotten. I started by asking her if she was still interested in the kids making her a scarecrow. I told her that there were so many leaves in the backyard, we'd run out of clothes to stuff before running out of leaves to stuff them with. She nodded her head and handed me a few articles of clothing. She thanked me for my kindness, and I thanked her for the clothes and then left. The next day, the kids made the scarecrow but asked me to deliver it to Miss Creel. When I first saw it, I experienced a fleeting feeling of deja vu. I shrugged and commended the kids for their handiwork, then lay the doll in a wheelbarrow and strode over to Miss Creel's. She seemed a little disappointed that the kids didn't make the delivery themselves. As I lie in bed that night, my head swam with the possible things the scarecrow could have reminded me of. I noticed that the clothes were children's sizes. Granted, Miss Creel was a small woman, but the clothes were childlike. A pair of camouflage cargo pants and a cardigan sweater with cartoon character buttons. Then it hit me. The year before, a story on the news caught my attention. A child had gone missing from a nearby state. The photo they showed was taken the day she was last seen. The outfit on the scarecrow was like the outfit the girl was wearing in the photo. I was wide awake now, so I rolled out of bed, careful not to wake my husband, and opened my laptop. 
I found the latest information on the case. The girl had still not been found. I scrolled to the pictures below the article and shivered. Now I was getting paranoid. Maybe Megan wasn't wrong about Miss Creel being a predator. I studied the photo. The girl's sweater had two buttons missing. I didn't recall noticing any missing buttons. I was feeling anxious. Silly. I'm beginning to doubt myself. My daughter had a frightening way of pulling others into her world. I busied myself by discussing Halloween costumes. I looked forward to making the kids' costumes each year. It was one of the few times I expressed my creativity and talent. To my surprise, Megan wanted to be a mermaid rather than her usual villainous character. I was damn proud of the finished product. Next on the list was a trip to the pumpkin patch. Our family piled in the car. How do you fix a broken jack-o'-lantern? Megan quipped. My hubby and I looked at each other questioningly. With a pumpkin patch, Megan's brother bantered. She pouted the rest of the drive. Her brother stole her thunder, but she perked up when she saw the field of pumpkins. As we were driving home, I told the kids about Halloween when I was a girl, about how we had to sing for our treats. My husband joined me in reminiscing about those past days, and I thought it was a good close to a good day. Unfortunately, that was not the end to our day out. By the time the car trundled into the driveway, it was dusk and Miss Creel was sitting on her porch under the soft glow of the porch light. Megan got out of the car and Miss Creel shouted, When I switch on my porch light every evening, I say a little prayer for you. Megan ran in the house crying. Apparently, Megan associated Miss Creel's porch light with the glowing lure an anglerfish used to catch its prey. Halloween night, Megan put on her costume, grabbed her trick-or-treat bag, and stood in the bay window anxiously awaiting her friends. When they arrived 20 minutes later, they commented that from the street outside, Megan looked like she was in an aquarium. That made her smile. Before they left, Megan turned towards me and said she was going to tell jokes for her candy. And then she said, Knock, knock. I replied, Who's there? Philip. Philip who? Fill up my bag with candy, she remarked, and she jogged down the sidewalk with the others. It was the first year Megan went trick-or-treating without me, but her brother wasn't feeling well, so I stayed at home with him. I kept the front door wide open, but the screen door stayed locked between clusters of Halloweeners. At 9pm, the stream of witches, ghosts and gypsies slowed to a trickle, so I sat in the wing-back chair near the window. The doorbell rang several minutes later. It was Megan, thank God. As I unlocked the screen door to let her in, she pointed to Miss Creel's house. Oh, Miss Creel's porch light is still on, she said, a little out of breath, and then turned towards her friends. We haven't stopped there yet. It's getting late, I interjected. But the light's still on. This is the last one, she assured me. Then she said in a gruff monster voice, We want our treat. Go get your treats, I replied in my own monster voice. I watched as the kids sauntered up the walkway and onto Ms. Creel's porch. Then the door opened and they filed inside. 
I should have been happy that Megan was finally taking a leap towards getting to know Miss Creel. So why was I feeling uneasy? Seconds passed, then minutes, then I stepped outside. I counted to ten and trekked over to Miss Creel's. The scarecrow was sitting on the porch swing. My curiosity heightened and I stepped closer to the scarecrow. The last two buttons were missing from the sweater. I wasn't looking at a scarecrow. I was looking at an effigy. I turned towards the door, knocking and ringing the doorbell simultaneously. I twisted the doorknob and found it unlocked, so I pushed the door open. I grabbed a knife from the block on the counter and winced when I noticed that a different knife was missing from the set. I'm not sure why I felt I should be quiet, but I tiptoed across the kitchen floor and stood aghast in the threshold of the living room. The kids huddled together. They were splattered with blood, but they assured me that the blood wasn't theirs. Where was Megan? I cautiously followed the trail of bloody handprints into the bedroom. My gaze fell to Miss Creel's open onyx eyes, bloody knife still clutched loosely in her grip. Blood trickled from the wound the knife had been pulled from. In my peripheral vision, I could see the bag of candy looped around Megan's wrist. Glanced pitifully at my sweet baby over Miss Creel. My daughter looked up at me and said matter-of-factly, The liver of the anglerfish is considered a delicacy. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast Halloween Special 2021, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Cheesy Halloween was written by Carolyn O'Brien and was narrated by Brian Jeans. Extra voices were performed by James Barnett. When Ms. Creel Came to Town was written by Carolyn O'Brien. It was narrated by Zoe Ricard from the Stories of Strangeness podcast, where Mike and Zoe discuss all things on the topics of paranormal, folklore, cryptids, hauntings and more. To check it out, head over to storiesofstrangeness.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Megan was performed by Cassie Aldridge. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. The Night's End Halloween theme was composed by Duncan Muggleton. For more from Duncan, head to twitter.com forward slash Duncan Muggleton. To support Night's End, I'd very much appreciate it if you could leave a review and a five-star rating on your podcasting app. We have merch available at nightsendpodcast.com. Or if you're looking for more content, please check out seasons one and two, which are available now. We also have 10 exclusive episodes available through our Patreon page or through our Apple Podcast subscription, Dissonance Extra. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another tale tomorrow. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.